Welcome to the Faith Ridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, October 17th as a part of our series, How to Be Human, A Fresh Look at the Ten Commandments. At the end of the sermon, stay tuned for a legacy campaign update from Pastor Tim. Here's Clay. I love this idea, uh, walking through the Ten Commandments, which is really a study in how to be human. My name's Clay Scroggins. So good to see everybody here. Uh, I know we've got a lot of people over in communion, a lot of people watching online. So good to see all of you. I uh, love getting to be back in Texas. This is my second time to be at Faith Bridge, but it is not my first time to be in Texas. Uh, I lived in Dallas uh, early 2000s, saw this girl walking across the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary, bow, chicka, bow, wow, you know, and that music starts playing, you know. I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, I uh, ended up getting down on a knee and proposing to her, and she is now my wife of 15 years. We just celebrated our 15th year anniversary. We got five little kids, 12 down to three. Oh, come on. You got to be clapping for her, that's for sure. But she's a Texan. She is. Uh, she grew up in Tyler, Texas. Uh, her parents are Longhorns. She went to A&M. She's got a brother who went to Baylor, two other Longhorns in their family. Uh, has anything been happening with the Aggies lately? I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, so my parents are, oh my goodness, that they still are not over that. On Sunday morning, they sent my wife a text and said, well, Jenny, congratulations. And she showed me the text, and I was like, that's just therapy for them. It's just part of the healing. This is step one, but it's a whole journey that they're going to be going through. No, congratulations. That was huge. That was amazing. Epic. Um, I cannot believe that T.A. was down on the field with his kids and then preached the next day. Did he participate in paying for the fine that got assessed because of storming the field? Um, I haven't gotten to ask him that yet. Um, I'm so grateful to get to be here. Uh, before we jump into the next, uh, the next commandment we're going to look at, I want to just set the stage for what we're talking about. I want to just talk about perspective real quickly. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I've been a pastor for uh, the past 20 years or so uh, in the Atlanta area. We've got a number of churches in Atlanta, and uh, I was moved, they asked me to move to a different campus, and it was, gonna, it was a pretty substantial move for us. It was going to require us moving all the way on the other side of town. Uh, Atlanta doesn't quite have the sprawl that Houston has, but you get it, you know, when you move to a whole different area. It's like moving to a new city, right? You know, new doctor, new schools, new target, all the important things in your life that you got to pay attention to. And uh, so I was going to have to go tell our kids that they were going to be changing schools that we were moving. And I was dreading that. Uh, I moved once when I was a kid. It was, uh, looking back, it was fine. It worked out. But, you know, that's never easy for a kid to move. Some of you have had to move and some of you have moved a bunch. And you know what that's like. My wife, who is just spectacular, she gave me this idea. She said, you know what you ought to do? She said, I've been thinking about it. It's probably going to be hard on them to tell them that we're moving. She's like, so keep this in your back pocket. But if anybody starts crying, if anybody gets upset, just tell them, hey, we're moving, but we're going to get a dog. I was like, oh, my goodness. You are a Proverbs 31 woman. That is brilliant. I love it. So I did. I uh, went out into the yard. They were all playing in the back. I said, hey, can I talk to y'all real quick? You know, it's totally normal. That happens all the time. That doesn't, that totally set them off. They were like, what's going on? What's happening? Um, I was already, up, I was, it wasn't going well already. I could feel it. And so I just uh, started to tell them. I said, hey, I got some news. I got to tell you, uh, my job's changing. We're moving and we're getting a dog. 
And my wife was over, she was listening to it, and she was like, I said back pocket in case anything goes wrong. I didn't say lead with it, like it's the main story. So anyway, um, we got a dog, uh, it's awesome. Anybody, any of your dog people? Any of you just want to admit your cat people, just so that we can know who is hard to understand in this world? Cool, all right, we got it. Um, here's a picture of our dog right here. Yeah, that's Hank, Hanky Panky. Um, People in Atlanta are like, oh, you named your dog Hank. Is that after Hank Aaron? We do love Hank Aaron, a very proud Atlantan, but our kids have no clue who Hank Aaron is. Um, but we do think that's, you know, maybe a little homage to uh, Hammer and Hank. Um, here's what I've learned about dog people, though. There are two different kinds of dog people. There are dog people that just love dogs. And then there are dog people that will kiss their dogs on the mouth. Would any of you just be willing to admit, you're like, I'm one of the latter. Like, I am not afraid to say it. I will plant one on my dog. I let my dog lick my face. Sir, on the 10th row, I appreciate so much how proud you are about it. His hand shot up. He was like, don't care. Doesn't matter where that dog's mouth's been. I'm like, get over here and lay it on me. That is courageous. And we think COVID is a big issue in this world. <laughs> I'm kidding. It is, all right? I'm not making a lot of it. It's significant, serious. But that is also just spectacular. And how proud you are of it. I just, I genuinely love it. If you're watching online, you can't see it. I mean, he about stood up right now. Um, listen, uh, what I've learned is that You'll let your dog do stuff like that just based on how you see your dog. If you see your dog as part of your family, my wife and I get in this big debate all the time. We both have degrees in theology and one of our hottest debate, one of our most contentious arguments is will dogs be in heaven? She says no. And I'm like, what kind of person are you? Yes, they're going to be in heaven. Of course, heaven is a manifestation of all of the good things that we enjoy in life. And we're going to be playing golf all the time and eating barbecue and having taquitos from Whataburger on the hour and then just having dogs running around just licking us and kissing us in the face and stuff. I guess not on the mouth, though. That's where we draw the line. I don't care, earth or heaven. But here's why that's important is because however you see, however you see the world, however you see cats, however you see dogs, however you see people, however you see your work, it matters so deeply. Perspective is everything. Perspective really is everything, right? Because how you see, how you see will determine what you do, right? I mean, how you see people will determine how you treat people. How you see politics will determine how you live your life. How you see work will determine how you live your life. How you see sports will determine what you do. And what we're going to talk about today is how you see your money. How you see your money. And I noticed as soon as I said money in church, everyone just slowly grabs their wallet. Why? Why are you wanting to talk about money? A lot of people have a, um, a bad perspective with church and money, right? Uh, but we're going to talk today about how do we get the, the view? How do we get the view of our money that God has of our money? I really think it's important because so many problems, so much conflict, so much worry, so much anxiety, so much fear in life revolves around money. But I really want to see my money the way God sees my money. And I want you to see your money the way God sees your money. Uh, we're, we're on the eighth 
commandment, the eighth of the 10 commandments. It goes like this, Exodus chapter 20. Moses wrote all these down on this tablet, and this is the eighth one. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, as we were talking to the team about this message, I thought, you know what? There's a lot of angles we could talk about. We could talk about stealing, right? Um, some of you, it's been a while probably since you've stolen something, hopefully from a store, you know, but we could also talk about using your parents' Netflix password. Hello, that's convicting. Getting off your parents' cell phone plan, taking the internet from your neighbor's house, which unfortunately we did for a couple of years, and I regret it and have, uh, I have as much as I can, repented of it. But all of us have, we have a different, we all have different stories of stealing. We have different perspectives of stealing. But I wanna talk about really what, what's underneath it. What is underneath stealing? I wouldn't imagine that we have many people in here that are thinking about stealing, that have stolen something recently. But I wanna talk about what's underneath it. Why would this be, of all the, the ways that we are to be human, how to, become, how to be fully alive, how to live like God would want us to live, why is this one of them? Let, let me just ask you, why, why do people steal? Why, why do people steal? My first thought when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, people steal because they don't have enough, right? I mean, there's people that steal because they have to. They steal because they're, they feel like that's the only way to live. That's the only way they can get what they feel like they need. But then when you start researching, just a simple Google search will pull up some really interesting statistics about wealthy people being more likely to steal than people that are not wealthy. 2009 study done by the American Psychological Institute said that people that make $70,000 and more, $70,000 yearly income or more, are 30% more likely to steal than people who make $20,000 or less. What? Isn't that interesting? Then I read this article um, that came out last year's a news report of a man who was, uh, he was convicted of uh, refund stealing. You, you, you can imagine this, but he took some things back to Walmart, and what he took back to Walmart wasn't actually in the box. He took a Keurig, and then he took this other coffee maker, and when they ended up opening up the boxes later after he had already got, gone and gotten his refund, they found a deflated basketball in one box, and then they found this coffee pot that had been used for years and years and years in the other one. So he had taken the new merchandise, taken the new product, and put something in the box, and then taken it back, gotten the refund, left with the money. But what's interesting is they started doing more investigation on this man. A month prior to this, he bought an island, not a house, an island in the Florida Keys for $8 million. <laughs> what? I mean, what is this man doing with the $119 that he got from the Keurig coffee pot machine that he put the deflated basketball back in the box? I mean, I'm telling you, it kind of wrecked my paradigm. It kind of wrecked my, wrecked my thoughts on stealing, that we don't really, we don't just steal because we think, oh, I'm not going to have enough because I, I, because I, 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 I need to be able to take care of life. No, there's something deeper going on. There's something more significant going on as to why we're prone to take something that is not ours. 
I, I think the big issue really is about how we see God and then how we see our stuff and how we see our money that causes us to feel like we need to take something that is not ours. I mean, I even wonder, are any of us guilty of, are any of us guilty of robbing from ourself, taking from ourself the way God wants us to live? Or would we might even be guilty of stealing from God? Is it possible that we're guilty of taking something that we think is ours when it's really his? Could it be that we're guilty of that as well? I just want to think through it together. See, when I live, when I live like all of my money is for me, I rob myself of an opportunity to live the way God's intended for me to live. When I live like it's all for my consumption, it's all for my use, it's all for me, I rob myself of this opportunity to live in a different way. A lot of times when we think about money in church, when we think about money in God, people's first uh, thought oftentimes, this is mine as well sometimes, is, well, God just wants my money. Maybe you think that way. Well, does God just want my money? Why does God always want my Why is the church always talking about my money? But there's obviously a lot of broken brokenness, misperception even, uh, the wrong perspective perhaps, even about that line. Because if you believe that God just wants your money, eventually it will, it will become impossible for you to be generous. If you believe that God just is always trying to get my money and get my stuff and just, ah, the answer is no, and the answer is you better not, and how dare you? He just wants my stuff, wants my money. It becomes virtually impossible to live in this generous way that God wants us to live. And I'm telling you, all of it, I think, has to do with how we see our money, how we see our money. So I know a lot of you are fixated with clicking on your bank app and seeing how much is in there or constantly looking at your 401k or your 403b or maybe you're always looking at your Coinbase account to see how your crypto is doing. But I, I want us today to take a step back and let's look at, okay, well, how does God want us to look at our money? Not, not so that we won't steal, because that's, that might just be one of the more minor issues that comes, but so that even more on the flip side, so that we can live like he would want us to live, so that our money doesn't have to own us, so that we can live with our money, so we can have an appropriate relationship with our money. Let's see it how he wants us to see it. Uh, if you have a, a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 24. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some volunteers that would love to give you one. It would be our gift to you. All you have to do is just raise your hand, and they'll hand you one. If you have a Bible app that you use, if you prefer technology with your Bible, you're welcome to open up the Bible app to Psalm 24. We're going to look at one verse in Psalm 24. We're going to look at two verses in Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at some of the... Uh, we're going to look at the way that God wants us to see stuff. And then therefore, hopefully it will inform us to know, okay, well then therefore, what do we do with that? Now that we see it the way he sees it, now what do we do? So this is Psalm 24, at the very beginning, verse 1. It goes like this, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. That, that would be something that would be really easy to memorize. Something we ought to really keep on the front of our minds to be able to tell ourselves over and over again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including all the stuff, including all the people, including all of our money, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How, how does God want us to see our money? How does God want us to see wealth? He wants us to see it as his. Real simply. That it's all his. All of it. Some of you are like, well, it's in my bank account. Well, it's still his. Well, he doesn't have my password. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> it's all his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including everything that you own, everything that I own. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, people and all who live in it. How does God want us to see stuff, money, wealth, time, or life? That it's all his, that, that, that we're, the, the word is that we are, that we're stewards, right? That we're stewards, that we're not owners, we are stewards. And he wants us to treat our stuff, to treat our money accordingly. Now, some of you have been a steward before. Companies like Hertz or Enterprise or Budget or Thrifty or Avis have said, this is our car, but we're going to let you use it for a day or three days or a week. Now, God doesn't want us to treat our stuff, our money, our wealth the way some of us have treated that rental car that we have been a steward of. No, he says, no, 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 hang on, no, no. that's not the way I want you to do it. I want you to treat this like it's mine and it is on loan to you. And, and that's, that's obviously hard for us, right? <clears throat> that's hard for us because some of you, your, your instinct is to go, well, I worked really hard for it. And some of you have. I mean, some of you, some of you, didn't grow up with money and, and, and you worked your way through school and you had a couple jobs in college or five jobs in college and then you went and got more education and you worked so that you could pay for it. Some of you weren't even afforded the opportunity to get education and you have been working ever since you were 13, 14, 15, 16. You don't know anything but work. God's given you an amazing work ethic. And that work ethic has provided you a good bit of wealth. Now, this is always tricky to talk about wealth in America, right? Because wealth, when we think about rich people, we always think about someone else, right? We never think about ourselves. But just for the simple sake of our definition today, I want to talk about being rich as having more than you need. Having more than you need. And in America, most people are rich. You're probably rich. And you might think, well, I deserve it. I earned it. 
Maybe you took a risk. Maybe you had an idea. Maybe you had the ability to think about something in a certain way, or maybe you had the courage to step out and start something and other people weren't willing to do it and you were willing to do it. And because of that, you have some money in the bank. You have some wealth. Even still, even if it's because of work ethic, because of the risk you took, because of an idea you had, God wants you to see your stuff, to see your life, to see your money as his. There's this little, um, this little section in Deuteronomy where the, the, the people that Moses is leading, they were having a hard time with this because Moses was trying to convince them, hey, it's all God's, it's all God's, it's all God's. And they were like, no, 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 I've worked for this. I built this. I'm the one who did this. So Moses says, I love this little, these two little verses in Deuteronomy I think this is helpful for us to just ponder, to think about, to meditate on for a minute. Look at this. This is in Deuteronomy verses eight, excuse me, chapter eight, verse 17. He says, you may say to yourself, which I think is so good because he knows, like we're, we're all tempted to talk to ourselves. We talk to ourselves all the time. You may say to yourself, self, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. We're all tempted to say that. My idea, my courage, my risk, my, my, my ability to lead something, it has produced this wealth for me. But then he reminds them, he says, but remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God. Remember who he is. Remember how big he is. Remember how powerful he is. Remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you even the ability to produce wealth. I love that little line. That even the wealth that we have, that we feel like we've worked hard for, that we've earned and we rightfully uh, went and got it or earned it or, or, or worked for it. He says, but even that, who gave you the ability to do that? Who gave you the ability to stand up and go to work? Who gave you the ability to, to get up and move? Who gave you the ability to breathe in the air that you breathe, it is him. Remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gave you even the ability to build wealth. C.S. Lewis, uh, I feel like it, you can't have a sermon without quoting C.S. Lewis, but this, this little quote by C.S. Lewis is masterful, so helpful. Here's what he reminds us of. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking, or the moving of your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. Every single thing you have, every faculty of thinking, the moving of your limbs, God wants us to see it as a gift. I'm telling you, when you start seeing your wealth as his, it changes everything. He continues, he says, if you devoted every moment of your life exclusively to his service, if you dedicated every moment of your waking life, every moment of your sleeping life, dedicated exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. That's brilliant. That if you spent your whole life going, well, I'm going to try to pay you back for what you have given to me, you couldn't even get to the end of it because he's given us so much. He has put on loan to us everything. 
It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. People and all who live in it. See, when, when we miss this, when we miss the fact that it's all God's, it's, it's ultimately, it's an issue of trust, right? I mean, that's what's at the bottom of stealing is this issue of, I don't believe that you're gonna really provide for me. I don't believe that you're gonna really take care of me. I don't believe that you're really gonna give me what I need for today and for tomorrow and for retirement and for my family. I, I, don't, I don't believe you. And he's going, hey, I, I want you to trust me. I want you to see it all as mine. And then I want you to trust me that I, I got you. I got you. I'm telling you, my, my, um, when, when I see this in my kids, honestly, it, it, um, it's a little annoying. Okay, I gotta be honest with you, as a human, it's annoying. But it's also, um, it, it's sad to me. Uh, a couple little anecdotal stories. Our three-year-old goes to this little preschool. Last week, my wife was helping him get his bag ready for school the next day, and she found some uh, magnetiles. You know, magnetiles are these like, they're actually very expensive. They're really nice, these little magnetic little blocks that you put together. I see you must have little kids. That's why you're shaking your head. Um, and he, we, we have a set of magnetiles. I mean, anything nice that we have were given to us by the grandparents, and uh, the grandparents gave our kids some magnets. We have some, but he felt the need to take some from his school and bring them home with him. And Jenny, my wife, looks at him that morning and says, Whit, is this, was this a good choice? And he said, it was probably not a good choice, was it? He's like, no, that's not a good choice. She says, you need to go take them back. You need to go apologize to the teacher and that whole thing. A couple, uh, couple of months ago, our six-year-old, uh, Cooper, was, um, came home from school and he was opening up a snack. He had went, gone into the pantry, grabbed a bag of Cheez-Its, which just happened to be my favorite snack, opens up a bag of them. I walked by, I said, hey, let me have one of those. He goes, no. I was like, okay, hang on a second. Let's, let's back this thing up like juvenile for one second, okay? Who paid for that pantry? Me. Who paid for those Cheez-Its? Me. Who brought you into this world and can take you out of this world? Me. So let me ask you one more time. Let me have a Cheez-It. I'm not even asking you for the whole bag. I'm just saying the dad tax. Like, let me just have a, ch a, a, one, uno. One un, if you like that language, one cheese it. I mean, just think about it a second. Like if you're God and you go, I have given these people so much. And he's going, I just want you to see, I want you to just recognize, just start there by recognizing it is not yours. It's mine. I mean, think about how irritated he gets. But see, he's, so loving and so compassionate, he doesn't actually get irritated. He just feels, my guess is, he just feels sad for us because he goes, ah, there's so much freedom. There's so much gratitude. There's so much generosity that's, that you're able to walk into when you see it all as mine, when you trust me enough to know it's all yours. You give and you take away, 
and you have blessed me and you have given to me and I want to live accordingly. There's just so much joy in that. There's so much peace in that. There's so much freedom in that. There's so much potential generosity in that. So I want to try to make this just real simple. I want to try to put some handles on this, you know, all right. So how, what would we then do? How, how now shall we live? How can we be human when it comes to thou shalt not steal? Well, I think we start with this. Number one, recognizing that it's all God's and to see yourself as a steward of God's money. All right, God, you've given me all of this and I'm supposed to steward this. Some of you own businesses. Some of you have employees. Some of you have kids and you've given them stuff and you know what it's like. You know what it's like when someone says, hey, I am giving you this, but I want you to treat it like it's mine. I want you to handle it with care because it's mine. Some of you have stood at a wedding altar and you've given away a daughter in marriage. And you're going, hey, remember, she is the Lord's. God has entrusted her to me and now I'm entrusting her to you. So you better handle this, handle her with great care. I mean, you, you, you know what this concept is like. And I'm telling you, you got to start by going, all right, it's all his. And so I'm going to see myself as a steward of God's money. And then once we do that, then what, number two, what if we then go, all right, if it's all his anyway, then I'm going to let the values of God inform how I steward his money. I'm going to let the values of God inform how I deal with my money, how I handle my money, how I handle his money. This is why we get to know his values. What's important to him? What does he care about? What is he into? What is he not like? What is he for? What, 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 how can I handle this in a way that would honor him? That would go, oh, it, the way I'm spending my money, living with my money is reflecting his values. So we gotta go get to know his values. What does he care about? What is he into? What is he for? It's why we investigate. It's why we figure it out because we go, well, he's the boss. He's loaned all of this to me. And so I wanna handle it in a way that would honor him, in a way that he would go, yeah. That, you're on to something there. The, the best way to do that, the best way to do it is to, to recognize that any blessing he's given us, that he's given to us, is an opportunity for us to be a blessing to someone else. That we, we, we are blessed so that we might be a blessing. We are blessed so that we might bless someone else. He loves blessing other people. He loves blessing his children. He loves blessing his creation. And so the best way we can reflect his values is to recognize the blessing, count the blessing, be grateful for the blessing, but then to pass the blessing on, to give the blessing to someone else. You've seen people do this, and when you, when you see them do it, it's remarkable. When you see someone who has accumulated, amassed great wealth, but they're not using it for themselves, they're using it for other people, it, it's, it's remarkable. A couple of years ago, um, or not a couple of years ago, it was probably 14 years ago, I was newly married. I was a student pastor at a church. And a, a guy who I didn't really even know, uh, his assistant reached out to me and said, hey, uh, Cole would like 
to let you use his beach house on 30A in Florida for a week this summer. And I was like, that's amazing. What do I pay? You pay nothing. Do with it whatever you want. It's yours for a week. Now, that's absolutely amazing. So I invited my parents, invited my sisters. Me and my wife went down there for a week. And it was awesome. And I remember we were driving to the grocery store one day, my dad and I, one morning to figure out what we were going to eat that day. And we were driving on this place. I mean, if you've ever been to that area of the country, I mean, it's just so beautiful. And I was looking around at these massive houses. And I remember telling my dad, I said, you know, it's just kind of hard to fathom that these people aren't just a little happier because they have these really nice houses. I mean, you just got to think like this, surely this like adds to your joy in life. And I'll never forget it. My dad said, you know who's the happiest person in here? Is the person that let you use his house. Because that's the way God works. That there's just more joy that's found, not when we get to use it, but when we get to let other people experience the benefit. When, when we realize that we're blessed to be a blessing, when we were reflecting his values to other people. And so thirdly, what I would encourage all of us to do, me as well, I'm, this isn't all skate, I'm in on this. This is not just something from me to you. This is something from God to all of us. The third one is this, is would you use God's money as a tool to bless others on his behalf? Would you use not just God's money, but use everything you have as a tool See it as a tool. This is something that God has put in my disposal, something that God has given me to, to then use to bless someone else. Maybe that means taking an inventory of your life. What would it look like to take an inventory to go, all right, what do I have? Okay, we have our house. How are we using our house to bless other people? How can we be more hospitable with, with the house that God has given us? Maybe you think about your, your boat, your, your, your lake house, your beach house, your, your extra car, the, the stuff that's in your garage, how can we put this stuff into service? How can we use this to be a blessing to someone else? Not because we're afraid that we're gonna start stealing. No, because we want to ultimately trust that God, this is all yours. And you have given it to us on loan as a steward. And we wanna know what do you value so that we can reflect those values to other people. And then we want to see this. We want to use our stuff, use our money, use our, everything you've put in our possession as a, as a tool to, to help others know you, to bless others, to honor you on your behalf. What would it look like to bless others in the same way God has blessed us? I'm telling you, how you see your money will determine how you spend your money. How you see your money will determine how you spend your money. And God, God has been so generous to us. But he's been generous to us so that we can be generous to others. So get your own Netflix account. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be sad if that was the only application? That's way bigger than that. Use your money. Use your stuff everything you have on this earth, use it. Use it in a way that other people might come to know him, might experience his goodness, might be blessed by the way he's blessed you. Heavenly Father, um, that's, that's a pretty simple message. 
But God, the application can be so hard because God, oftentimes, just that, that feeling of, oh no, stuff in my bank account, the, the number on my bank account's running low. Father, just honestly, that sometimes can be scarier than wondering whether or not there's a God because we're just all so tempted to put our trust in stuff, to put our trust in money. And when we don't, God, sometimes we're prone to steal. But God, even worse, sometimes we're just prone to hoard and keep it all for ourselves, and think that it's all for our consumption. God, would you keep us from that? Not just so we can check off this commandment, but God, so that we can live life like you want us to live it. So that at the end of our days, people might say, that is a person who used everything he had. That is a person who used everything she had as a way to bless others. For your name, for your honor, for your sake, we pray all of this. Amen. 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 Give him a hand. Clay, Clay, last time you were here, you were telling us you just left a place. Have you said yes to another place yet? Awesome. I think you'll be back. So that was a great word. I just want to say um, just a, a little postscript talking about generosity. And uh, because I was just thinking as I was listening, this congregation, you've demonstrated amazing generosity over the years and particularly in the last two years I'll tell you a story it was two years ago right about this month uh, that we were having the big legacy campaign and we we pledged 11.6 we came up and pledged our cards and and talked about Joshua stepping out into the water and I mean it was a moment and there was excitement and unity and we just pledged $11.6 million. And then we broke ground a few weeks later. And then about three weeks later, we go into a pandemic. And you can imagine uh, Sully, our business administrator, and I, are, we're, we're meeting all day long, every day, like, what do we do? What do we do? It seems like this thing isn't going to last like three or four days. I think this, that, what, what, you know, so finally we go running out to the pad where they were broken ground and said could we pause this I think we might need to pause because we don't know what's going to happen with the with the funds and they said well you could pause but there's a problem you're on the hook for two million dollars worth of steel it's ordered so they're going to drop beams of steel on this pad and we can pack up and we leave and you can do with it whatever you want call us back in a couple of years but it's not like you can just pick up that steel and use it in two years, it'll be rusted, it'll be compromised, you'll have to order it again. We're like, okay, what's plan B? They said, well, here's what you could do. Why don't we just go ahead and build, we'll just build the shell. We'll just build the legacy building shell. You'll have walls, concrete floor, boards on the doors, nothing's wasted, we, you can stop that, you're only in for four or five million at that point, we'll just press pause. You call us back in a couple of years, then we'll come and finish it all up. So we said, That's, let's, let's do that. 
week or two before, they were like, okay, so this is like the point of no return. We're, we're going to stop here. And Sully says, you know, the, the thing is, the generosity, it hasn't really fallen off. So we're like, well, why don't we go one more state? What's the next stage? Plumbing and electrical. Okay, why don't you do that and ask us again in a month? And so we did that. And they said, now, now stop. Sully, nope, it's still coming in. There's... Meanwhile, our elders, we're meeting every week. And there's just a cry from our team saying, let's move forward. Let's just keep moving forward. And we went ahead and just finished the whole thing. Moved in this February. People ask, pastors always, what's your comeback rate? Well, it depends. You're talking about adults. You know, we got a thousand or so online today. Hello to all of you. Um, but if you're talking about youth, they're back, baby. I mean, 100%. The energy is palpable. This morning and Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, if you come up here, it's, it's really amazing. And I can't tell you how many times I've just said, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the generosity. Thank you that we didn't stop. We would have lost a whole season of this ministry from February to right now, not to me. Oh, this is a great thing. They were just explaining to me recently with the whole supply chain problem. They said, do you realize on a 10, $11 million project, if you were just going to bid that out now and start it, you're talking at least $5 million more, not to mention the time delays from this whole supply chain quandary that we're in. We're like, Praise the Lord. So I'm, I'm just so grateful. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So just got one more little thing. Um, it looks like we're on a glide path to finish the campaign in January. Right at about probably one million short. We've had some people leave. We've had some people move. You know, some people lost jobs. It's been a hard season. We're about a million dollars short, it looks like. Uh, our expert says, if you just do nothing. I said, well, I've never been great at doing nothing. Why don't we, uh, why don't we do a little something? So I just want to, I just want to make an, an invitation. It's a get to, not a have to, no guilt. Those of you who've, you've, you made a pledge a couple of years ago. You, you haven't started it yet. And we keep praying. And so this would be a great time you could start. Just live out what Clay just preached. Say, so you know what? I'm going to get started on that pledge. Um, some of you have come in even since the campaign. You're like, oh, I missed that whole season. But we're involved here. We love here. You could start up and just do, you know, just go do a little 12-week giving pattern that's above and beyond. That would be amazing. Some of you, you, you've been fulfilling your pledge so faithfully. Thank you. Would you just stay in? Just keep running it through. Stay in. And then there's a few of you uh, who you're like, our life's actually been better than ever during the pandemic. Our industry's like amazing. You finished your pledge maybe a few months ago, maybe a year ago. I'm going to ask you, would you consider stepping up and doing a little bit over and above. No guilt. If you can't, get it. Just a, a get to, not a have to. If the Lord would put on your heart, we just, I'd just really like to see if we could close that gap here as we move to the end of the campaign in January. So you can do that anytime. Uh, go to faithbridge.org. 
slash legacy. And you can just activate, you know, a, a, an online deal there. Hope you'll be back next week. Steve Carter will be here. The next Sunday, that's always fun. The next Sunday, Candy Palooza. We already talked about that. Big outreach Sunday. You'll be inviting people. The next Sunday, November, first Sunday of November, Time Change Sunday, Ben Stewart will be here from D.C. Yeah, so we got all sorts of good stuff. I hope that you have a great week. Go in peace. You're dismissed.